When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, and we have some news updates uh, here. Um, we've been going through a little bit of a turnover um, as far as our um, uh, switching over to Blue Wire. So we've had a little bit of a delay um, as well as I was on vacation, Rod. Uh, a, <laughs> a, uh, That's a why we didn't get to you on the day Fife news last week. Yeah, a postseason uh, vacation. Of course, then all the news breaks. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's the first one. That's the big one that broke was uh, Dane Fife taking what – looks to be a lateral move as associate head coach at, at Indiana, but it is his alma mater. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about that? Are you, are you surprised at all? Um, yes and no. Uh, we'll deal with no first because, you know, Dave Pipe's been at MSU for 10 years. Yeah. The day that he was hired, if you had told me he's going to be at Michigan State for 10 years, my jaw would have dropped. Yeah. Because remember, he had been a head coach for several years um, at a IU, uh, a IUPU Fort Wayne, I think, right? Yeah, IUPUI uh, or whatever that is. Or, or PUI, yeah. maybe. <laughs> I can't remember. I have to look it up. It's been so long. But anyway, he, he was the youngest head coach in the nation at that time. Did a few years there. Did a nice job. Michigan State played him a couple times. And then he came on board. I believe his first season was the 11-12 season. Mm-hmm. Um, came on board to replace Mark Montgomery, if I remember correctly. Monty got the job at Northern Illinois. And then Dane Fife came on board to replace him. The thought was, at that point, he was going to use a few years under Izzo as kind of a resume polisher and then you know, move on to a, a bigger deal head coaching gig. And the thought was that that would be a better path for him than staying where he was, mm-hmm. that he had done a really nice job with that program. It was going to be tough to have the kind of success that would propel you to a bigger job. Okay. Yeah. That was the thought. Well, here we are 10 years later, he's still in East Lansing. Um, and I think that's because, you know, Michigan state guys, for good reason, have been very selective. And we're going to talk about Dwayne Stevens in a, in a bit here too. Um, 
Fife, to my knowledge, had one gig that was his to take. And this is maybe three years ago, four years ago. I lose track now. Uh, the, the, DePaul? Oh, Duquesne. No, yeah. Duquesne in, in the Atlantic 10. So a decent league. Um, but Duquesne is not considered a great job. He, yeah. My understanding is he was offered that job. It was his for the taking. And he looked at it and decided to turn it down in the end. Um, you know, Michigan State assistants are really well compensated. Mm-hmm. So you start from that premise. They're making good livings as assistants. So it's got to be a place. They're not going to jump to any, you know, southwest, central, whatever, just basically to be a head coach. You know, the idea is if you're at Michigan State, your expectation should be that if you take a head coaching job, you're in a spot where you can succeed. And when you look at the guys in recent year, well, not even recent years, it's over Izzo's entire tenure, where they've gone, most of them have gone to those kind of jobs. Yeah. You know, um, going all the way back to Tom Crane and Marquette, that's a great first job. You know, Brian Gregory at Dayton, a great first job. Stan Heath went to Kent State, which might not strike you as a great job, but it was then because Gary Waters had left a hell of a team, and in Heath's first year, they went to the Elite Eight Mm. with all that talent, and then he parlayed that to the Arkansas job shortly thereafter. So that was really that kind of move. A couple of other guys, you know, Mike Garland took the Cleveland State job. That's not an easy gig. Um, and, you know, didn't have great success while he was there and then came back to MSU, of course. And Mark Montgomery took the Northern Illinois job. That's a tough job in the MAC. It's a good football school historically, but they just have never really been able to get it done in basketball. But he just got let go this year. He had like almost a 10-year run. Uh-huh. So, you know, but most of these guys, as I'm saying, most of these guys, Stan Joplin um, at Toledo, uh, who I think was only on Izzo's staff the first year. So, oh, and, and Doug Woja, who yeah, we're going to talk about in a second, got a job at Tulsa, which is a great gig. So most of these guys have gotten really good jobs. They're not going to slapdash programs where it's going to be hard to win. Mm. Um, and I think that was Dane's M.O., was he was only going to take a head coaching job if it was a place he could win, which rightly so. That's a smart way to go. I, I have heard – um you know, anecdotally, nothing heavy, heavy duty, but I had heard that the relationship, you know, and, and not, not anything, I've not heard anything dramatic, like there's some huge falling out or anything between he and Ezo, but just that, you know, sometimes, and, and I think everybody who's listening to this knows this, an interpersonal relationship, sometimes after a while, you just kind of come to the end of the road, right? Yeah. Doesn't mean anybody's a bad actor necessarily. It doesn't mean anybody's at fault. And I kind of heard that, you know, it was feeling, maybe feeling that way. The other thing is, and this was the stuff that I always thought was hilarious and it's, it's indicative of, I'm not going to get too heavy with politics here, but it's indicative of inherent biases that so many of us suffer from. I can't count how many times I would see people who purported to be MSU fans who assumed that Dane Fife was the head coach in waiting. If there's anybody on the Michigan State staff who has that role, it's Dwayne Stevens, and it has been. It was never yeah. Dane. I, yeah, that's that's the thing I was going to say about it is if Dane Fife's looking at it and 
you got you and Dwayne Stevens, both associate head coaches. Dwayne Stevens is his, that's his alma mater. You know, I mean, right. and, and more, and that's true. That's true for sure. It's his. He has a deeper relationship with the school. I mean, Dane's been here ten years. That's a deep. Yeah, you can't be a place that long without having a deep relationship, right? But it's deeper for DJ. There's no question because he played here. Yeah. But but beyond that, all you've got to do, watch the games, and that's also something that should have been a tell for which way this decision and who to place Dane with was going to go. Watch who Tom Izzo's talking to. Mm-hmm. And that's not a knock on Dane. It's just look at the look at the reality in front of your face. Who controls Michigan State substitution patterns? Yeah. Dwayne Stevens. Who's the guy that Izzo is leaning on most in that huddle? Dwayne Stevens. He's the guy sitting next to him. So, and, and again, I don't mean this to be a knock on Dane. It's just that's reality, right? So I think you put those things together and the fact that on the on the other side of things, it's his alma mater. Well, we were just talking about Dwayne Stevens. Well, that, that's what Indiana is for Dane Fife. And I suspect that maybe if that coaching search had gone another way, maybe this doesn't happen. But yeah. Mike Woodson is a Bob Knight guy. Dane Fife is a Bob Knight guy. He didn't finish with Bob Knight, but he started with him and he was recruited there with him. I suspect that there is a very big sense of we need to write this ship among the night era of IU guys. Mm. Because despite the fact that I think people have this cliche that Indiana's decline has been because they've just been trying to reinvent the night era, that's not true. They haven't hired anybody since Knight left who had a direct Bob Knight connection, except for Mike Davis, who had been an assistant under Knight for less than a year, I think, when he got the interim job. I think that was his first year. Uh-huh. The night got fired. Um, so that really wasn't even a connection. So they've never gone down that road. This is the first time they've done it with Woodson. And I suspect that probably plays into it for Dane. In addition to the stuff that I said before that you just kind of, you know, familiarity. I'm not going to say familiarity breeds contempt, but, you know, you can be in a place so long that it starts to not feel right for anybody. Mm. You know, I kind of heard Scuttlebutt about that. On the other side of it, though, to say, yes, I'm surprised, you're always surprised, I think, when somebody makes, as you said, a lateral move. So, and and leaves a place where, let's be honest, the gig doesn't get any better than than for an assistant at Michigan State. It just doesn't. The Indiana gig as an assistant is not a better job. I don't know if Dane got a raise. He might have. But it's a marginal difference, I'm sure. You know, the facilities, who you're working for, the ability to win, the ability to use a program as a platform to get a head coaching job you want, all of that stuff, Michigan State is – I mean, Michigan State is what Indiana once was mm-hmm. in the big – that's the truth. Yeah. yeah. So it is lateral in that sense. So I guess you could say, well, that's kind of surprising, but you stack that up against all the things we just talked about. I don't think it's a total shock. And good luck to him. Yeah. I, I look. I'm a Dane Fife booster. I think he hit. Look during his ten years. Think about it. Michigan State went to two Final Fours, 
won four Big Ten regular season titles. That's 40% of the time he was here, they were Big Ten champs. Uh-huh. That's pretty good, <laughs> okay? Um, they, uh, they also, I believe, won, if I'm remembering correctly, one, two, three, three Big Ten tournament titles, I think, is correct, had another Elite Eight mixed in there, another couple of Sweet Sixteens in addition to the two Final Fours. They also had a year taken from them where they were in position to do those kind of things, you know, last year. So um, pretty good. For Dane, for Dane Fife's tenure, and he was a—he's not the only reason, of course, far from it. But when you're when you're on the staff and that kind of success happens, guess what? You get to own some of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, and I—I I mean, I actually think it's a, a a fairly good move because if you look at like five years out, you know, Izzo's probably going to be here for another four. I could see four or five years. It it feels that way. You know, I mean, right now, Mike Woodson's 63, (laughs) you know, I mean, he's almost as old as Izzo. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're sitting there looking at it from his perspective and you think, well, maybe Dwayne Stevens says to himself, I got three or four years or so I'm willing to wait. Right. Maybe it is time to get some new experience under your belt with guys like Woodson and you'll have Thad Mata there to bounce stuff off of. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's, and, you know, and here's the other thing, too. In, you got to think about it this way. Um, Michigan State being successful is old news, right? Because they're always successful. Yeah, yeah. One degree or another. And in the end, this is a rebuilding gig now. They haven't been to the tournament in four years. Mm. Um, so if they have any kind of success, How's that going to look for Dane's resume? Probably pretty good. Yeah. You know? um, so I think there's a lot of different elements like that. You're right. That, that kind of play into it. But, you know, again, I think hats off to him. I think he was part of a really good era in Michigan State basketball, and he was very much a contributor to that. And, you know, I, I don't want him to beat Michigan State, of course. But, um, you know, beyond that, no ill will, Godspeed, hope yeah. it goes well, you know, all that. And, and you could be sympathetic about a guy, about a guy who's, you know, in essence going home. I mean, we, we'd feel that right. way about, we did feel that way. Dwayne Stevens was part of a staff at Marquette that had gone to a final four, you know, and he left to come home. So, you know, you can, you can have some sympathy for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then that brings us to the, the next thing, which is, um, it doesn't look like uh, Dwayne Stevens um, is probably going to get a job this year. Um, he was in the running for Eastern. Turns out uh, they wind up hiring Stan Heath. Yeah. And, you know, I, I asked around a little bit about this. I, I'm continually flabbergasted that Dwayne Stevens has not been a head coach because you want to talk about a track record. And I mean totality of it, mm. recruiting, game day coaching, strategic uh, um, elements, you know, involvement in game planning, um, player development with as Michigan State's de facto big man coach. Yeah. Uh, it is amazing to me, particularly the fact that the in-state smaller schools other than Oakland have all had decisions 
over the last 10 years, some of them more than one, where there was a coaching gig available and he doesn't get it. I, I asked around. Uh, it's, the word was it was down to he and Stan Heath. And I heard that DJ really didn't, in the end, want it. Mm. So I think this is one. And there have been other jobs like that in the past. But then again, there have been other gigs where I couldn't believe that schools in this region of the country were not beaten down his door. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. So I, I don't know. You know, at this point. I mean, geez, you'd, you'd think wonder, even Cincinnati would be like a school that would. Sure. That's not. I mean, Cincinnati fans probably think they're above that. Here's a hint. You're not. Yeah. Because <laughs> Dwayne Stevens is, would be a great get, in my opinion, for anybody. The track record is, you know, you can you could try to dispute that, but the track record is what it is. And and when a Hall of Fame coach puts responsibility and trust in somebody the way he has in, in Dwayne Stevens for a long period of time, that speaks volumes to me. Mm. You know, at this point, you really do have to wonder, is DJ kind of playing this to be, you know, Michigan State's Hubert Davis? You know, in North Carolina where Roy Williams passed the baton. And and we're getting to that point now because, you know, DJ is – let me think about this. I think he's going to be 50 this year if he's not already. Um, so if, as you said a few minutes ago, Izzo were to go another, let's say, five years, um, and I'm, I'm out of the speculation game as to how long he's going to go because right now I see no signs he's nearing anything. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't – Do his job. But, but theoretically, that could be – that could be the play, you know, um, that could be his thinking. It could be Izzo's thinking because barring something totally unforeseen, Tom Izzo is going to have as much impact on that decision as Roy Williams just did in North Carolina's or as Mike Krzyzewski will in Duke's and very much like the Carolina decision was and like what I expect the Duke decision will be whenever that time comes. Um, right now, and, and people may, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are made unhappy by this, but it's going to be in-house. And by in-house, I don't necessarily mean it'll be an assistant being elevated, but I, I just can't, I can't fathom the idea of Michigan State going outside the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that. So Dwayne Stevens would be in that mix. I, personally, with Fife leaving this year, I'm kind of, there's a part of me that, you know, I, I've long wanted and posted about it on the boards and talked about it on this podcast. I want Dwayne Stevens to get a head coaching job because I think he deserves it. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think he's got a great chance to be really, really good. But selfishly as a Michigan state fan, I I want him with one guy already leaving. I want him on board. Um, you know, but when we turn to that question, just for a second, one other thing that's worth mentioning, and we're going to get into who Michigan state announced today to replace Dane. In a second, when when the idea about a coaching shakeup, so this is before Dane left, but there was kind of word filtering around that maybe a change is coming. And every offseason, you think there's a chance that one of these guys may get a head coaching job. Um, my thought at that point was Drew Valentine to me was the guy who should be your target. Mm. And I don't know why I can't recall whether we talked about him. We did Here. briefly. We did. Yeah. Okay. So just to refresh people's memory, of course, he's obviously he's Denzel's brother. He played at Lansing Sexton. He's a Lansing kid, son of another Spartan, Carlton Palantine. Played his college ball at Oakland. 
did two years as a grad assistant, including the Final Four team in 2015 uh, at MSU. So he coached under his own. Izzo has had glowing things to say about him. Then he went to Oakland as an assistant for it was maybe a year or two and then got a job at Loyola. His first year was the year Loyola went to the Final Four. Then this year they went to the Sweet 16. Porter Moser gets a job at Oklahoma, and they announced Drew Valentine as their head coach at the ripe old age of 29. God almighty. It's kind of Dane Fife Redux, except Drew's in a much better situation than, than Dane was. 29 years old, and he's coaching a team that's – won the regular season title in the Missouri Valley three of the last four years. Mm. Um, that's a guy I consider to be part. When I say that Izzo tree, Drew Valentine is part of that because he did two years as a grad assistant at MSU. His brother and his father are part of the program. He grew up in Lansing. That's He would be somebody that I think would be in that mix, assuming he has success at Loyola, which I expect he's going to. I think he's going to be a bang up recruiter and I think he's, I think he's going to do a great job. So Michigan State fans should be excited by that development because in my opinion, all you really want to see is that Michigan State has a bunch of good options. Right. Yeah. Cause you don't know which way it'll go. So you want them to have good options. And to me, Drew Valentine would be a guy who could be a good option. You know, his youth certainly would not be a negative. If you said Izzo retires in five years, six years, well, Drew Valentine's still only in his mid-30s at that point. Mm. You could potentially, you know, and this is getting way ahead of the game, but you could potentially be hiring a coach for another 20 years. Yeah. If he, if he was successful, you know. So that that's one I'm really excited by, that, that that's a possibility, you know. Um but then, obviously, because he got that head coaching job, he's not in the mix to come to Michigan State as an assistant. So they had to go another direction. And there were a few – this one didn't get crazy in terms of names being bounced around publicly, and I think for good reason. There were a few names out there. You know, Mark Montgomery, I mentioned, got fired by Northern Illinois. And then University of Detroit hired him at midseason. They actually had a vacancy on their staff at the start of this year, and they hired – Mike Davis hired him. Um, I didn't think that was likely because he'd done a long stint at MSU before. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think that would probably be the way it would go, and, and it didn't. Um, another name that I thought about and didn't come to pass, but it's still a name to keep your eye on for the future, is Thomas Kelly at Western Michigan. Yeah, I was thinking about that, yeah. Grad assistant at MSU. Um, I think he's been an assistant at Western for three years now. Maybe four. It's been a little bit of a stint. Um, so, you know, he's gaining experience. I think he'd be a guy potentially that, that might have a shot at it. But what they did is they stayed internal with the current staff and they elevated, you know, back to the future, Doug Wojcik. Yeah. Um, and just to refresh people's memories, Doug Wojcik was an assistant for two years, uh, 03, 04 and 04, 05, that final four team. He was an associate head coach. He then took the job at Tulsa. And then after a long stint there, he got a job at um, uh, College of Charleston yeah. and then got fired from there uh, under some some questionable circumstances. There were allegations of player abuse. I did some searching around that, and the the conclusion I reached after seeing what was out there is 
is that there really wasn't anything that was ever demonstrated. And in fact, what little evidence there was seemed to suggest that a lot of it was overblown. Yeah. Um, that's, it seemed, that's it, it's, definitely my yeah. take too. It, 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 it culturally, the kids at Charleston were not prepared for what Doug Wojcik was bringing. <laughs> right. You know? He's a guy, he's known he for knew. having a hard edge. He had a hard yeah. edge at Tulsa. You know, he's a Naval Academy grad. Yeah. So, you know, some of that stuff probably did strike some of those kids as different than what they were used to. But I, I don't think we're talking about Greg Marshall here. No. You know, no, obviously I... Tom Izzo doesn't feel that way because he hired him um, – Three years ago, he came to MSU. This was his third season as in a staff support role. He was director of recruiting. So it was a position that hadn't existed before at MSU. But he really is credited with laying a lot of groundwork for the recruiting success. You know, if you're impressed with the class they've got coming next year, give Doug Wojcik a little bit of credit for that. Mm. You know, it's also true. And again, this gets back to the same thing I said about DJ Stevens. If you watch the Michigan State bench, um, you would see Tom Izzo consulting with Doug Wojcik a lot. Yeah. During games. Yeah, I didn't notice that. So, because so he's technically he was technically like an administrative role, correct? But he's also a coach. Exactly. And, and that's, it's, it's not too dissimilar from what we've seen at a much bigger level in football with, you know, certain schools like Alabama's made a, a living out of this of hiring guys as yeah. analysts yeah. just to expand their staff. I mean, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what Doug Wojcik was for Michigan State. So he was elevated today. They announced it to replace, uh, Fife. So once again, Michigan State continues to have a very, very experienced staff and a staff that has coached together. Mm-hmm. Now, these guys all know it, so they don't really lose much, if anything. I mean, Wojcik is obviously more experienced than Fife, um, and he's done five years at Michigan State, over two stints. So he coached with, you know, he's coached with all these guys. He's coached with DJs, coached coach with Mike Garland. Um, so I think it's a really seamless transition in that sense. Um, you know, I understand if there are people out there who feel like they, they wish that MSU had gotten some young energetic guy. And it's just true. Michigan state staff is older. DJ's the youngest guy. And as I said, he's a, either is or is about to turn 50, I think. And he's the young guy. Um, so you don't have guys in their 30s running around. But I don't think that necessarily means anything. Um, I think Michigan State staff is pretty energetic and is going to continue to do a great job on the recruiting trail. I think the interesting thing at this point is who gets elevated to replace Doug Wojcik in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen people speculate and and – on the surface, at least, it seems to make some sense to me, but I don't know what all Izzo is thinking about. You know, they do have Tum Tum Nairn on the staff. Yeah, that seems like a good fit for him. It really does. And and that would be a guy who in that role, I think, would, would potentially kill it. Um, with his energy, his enthusiasm, um, I, I think that could be a good a good fit. Uh, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, they, Izzo may have other ideas. It's just it's a name that's 
very obvious to think about and it on the surface at least it would seem to make a lot of sense so that's kind of and, and one other thought real quickly too on the um on the emu job just to return to that for a second so we kind of hit it and then ran yeah uh, i got it is stan heath who of course is a former michigan state staffer Izzo was very he was in the eastern michigan press uh eastern michigan uh, press release for stan heath there were quotes for Bizzo <laughs> in it um so that was nice to see good for stan it it wouldn't surprise me to see eastern remain on michigan state schedule you know they they played eastern a lot over the last several years because Izzo had a really good relationship with rob murphy who had been there and, and long ago was Maurice Akers high school coach at Detroit Crockett. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me to see that continue um, with Stan Heath in that job that MSU would, would play that. Where, um, but, where did Stan Heath come from? He, well, he, he played oh, directly. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. Um, let's see. Hold on. Like, was he a Detroit guy? Or, I'm wondering. Okay, so he was coaching in the G League. He was coaching coaching the Orlando Magic's um, G League franchise in Lakeland. That's right. So um, this is him coming back to the college game. You know, Stan had kind of a ride through the, the ranks. You know, he, he got that Kent State job, had huge success, parlayed that into Arkansas where he struggled. And then from there, I believe, was at South Florida mm-hmm. for a stretch. Um, yeah, that sounds right. That. But it's, yeah, so it's a return to the college game for him. Um, but again, another guy with Michigan State um, track record. So uh, moving on, uh, anything else uh, you had were Eastern or? Nope. Nope. I think that was it. I just wanted to emphasize that the guy who got it also has Michigan State connections. Um, just not DJ, yeah. which I think better for Michigan State fans at least for this year. I, I just a, a just a thought I had. Mike Davis uh, with Mark Montgomery there is a little scary. <laughs> you think if they have a couple good years, they might be moving into a, like maybe a Big Ten gig, a lower level one. Uh, Mike Davis and um, um, Mark Montgomery for Mike Davis to get hired. Yeah, Big Ten gig. You know. I don't know. I mean, it's been... You would take a couple good years at Detroit, but... It it would take some really good years because Mike Davis has been kind of in the lower... You know, he was at Texas Southern for a long stretch before he took the the UAD gig. Um, Maybe, maybe. But, you know, again, Mike Davis isn't all that young anymore. I'm not sure. I think he's well into his 50s. Yeah. Yeah. So it would probably take a, a really, really big, big, big amount of success, I think, for that to happen. All right, so um, moving on to the players, Rod. Uh, some big news has come out. Of course, not really unexpected, but Aaron Henry's declared yeah. for the draft. Um, everyone saw this coming, <laughs> right? And I mean, we, knew it. Knew we knew it from, from the moment he announced he was going to return after declaring last year. Right. Yeah, we knew it. 
you know, this is one of those things where it's kind of understood by everybody. Izzo referenced it, in fact, in his press release. Um, it was understood by everybody this was coming. And it's a, you know, it's a good thing because I think Aaron and, and you can, you get over invested in mock drafts, but if you look, a lot of what I'm seeing, and then the people, there are people who are more reliable and less reliable in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are some more reliable people who are talking about Aaron now as solidly an upper portion of the second round guy and maybe even with the potential to slide into the late first. I think it's going to depend on you know, how the next few months unfold. But, you know, if you think about it, Aaron Henry would seem to be a guy who in a lot of ways would be built to excel in combines. Yeah. Because his physical tools are going to come to the forefront. And that's, we know he's going to knock it out of the park in those areas. Strength, quickness, leaping ability. He's all plus, plus, plus on those ends. Um, You know, I, I think he's got a real chance because it's, I've seen it pointed out by a couple of different people. And I agree with this in the NBA. No NBA team is ever going to ask Aaron to do the things that Michigan state asked him to do. Right. Necessity. Yeah. You know, and Aaron, I think was always walking that tightrope throughout his whole career with not being assertive enough. And then when he was being assertive, maybe not being efficient enough because they were asking him, to make play. I mean, how, how often did we talk about, well, Aaron, that'd be great during that stretch. And he down the, you know, down the tail end of Michigan state season this year. And pretty much every time out, he rang the bell. He was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that did him that run of games did his, his status, a world of good. Yeah. And I think it's what's putting him in position, you know, so don't ever, you know, the idea that coming back, can't do you good is bogus. It, it's it can't be the only reason for coming back, but it is a fact that some guys do themselves a lot of good by coming back and playing really well. And Aaron Henry is an example of that. Mm-hmm. He came back for last year. He almost certainly would not have been drafted, from what I saw. And now we're talking about a guy who might even be having a. a, a at least a chance at getting into the first round. Yeah. That's a huge deal. And I think he's going to be successful. I mean, the, the big deal with him, and this is true of probably everybody outside, you know, your top handful of players is fit. You have to end up with the right franchise who needs your particular pluses in their lineup. That's going to put you in a position to succeed. You know, you're going to be surrounded by guys who you vibe with and who you connect with and who you play well together with. You know, we can look at Michigan State's guys and the pros right now, and you could see guys like DJ Stevens and Bryn Forbes as two examples of guys, or DJ Stevens, Draymond Green and, <laughs> and Bryn Forbes as, as two guys who landed in perfect situations. And you see what it's done for them. Yep. Then you look at somebody like Denzel, who landed in a bad situation with a bad franchise, doesn't know what it's doing, doesn't know how to utilize him, and it hasn't gone as well. Yeah. Right? Guys more recently, um, it's early, but I feel like Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman seem to me to be in a pretty good situation in Memphis. 
That seems to be a franchise that's really growing it the right way, and I think it's going to end up going well for them. Miles Bridges, uh, you know, maybe at Charlotte, but they seem further behind the curve than Memphis to me. And he so seems I don't, like I'll, he's got a pretty good rapport with LaMelo Ball, though. He does. He does, and that's why I think maybe instead of it's a bad situation. Uh, it might they work got out. Gordon Hayward, which is going to put a hurt in. Yeah, but he's been some... out lately, and Miles has yeah. been playing a lot. Miles has been playing really well. I, I'm sure some of our, our listeners have seen the dunk that he put on the Hawks a couple of days ago. <laughs> oh, God. I've seen the clip. That like an all-time it, great. <laughs> it is one of the most ferocious dunks I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I always used to say, um, to me, the greatest dunker in Michigan State history, when you take everything into account, was Jason Richardson. Um. Miles Bridges, now it's not at Michigan State, it's in the NBA, but Miles, that dunk caused, there's also another clip floating around, 30 dunks in 30 seconds for Miles' season this year, <laughs> and it will blow you away. Mm-hmm. Miles is, is rapidly gaining on J. Rich, in my opinion, but that dunk was unbelievable. Uh, J. Rich um, just didn't seem to have as many dunks in game time. as M- Miles has like almost a, a highlight, it seems like, every night. Just like yeah, uh, Jason did it. I thought he did at Michigan State. At Michigan State, he did. Yeah, yeah. In the pros, it, maybe it changed. I, I know he really developed as a shooter mm-hmm. over time in the NBA, but um, yeah, he but, did and, well and, in and the dunk contest. And Miles Bridges kind of got he missed a couple dunks in that thing and took himself out of it for the next year. But yeah. I, but I, I mean, not to get caught up in the dunking so much, but, but more to bring it back around to the point. I think that's going to matter for Aaron. Where does, you know, and then you look at Cassius too at Washington. Eh, maybe not a great situation right now, you know? Yeah, so you hope for his sake that he ends up with a franchise that's building it and, and knows how to use them. And, and, and I say that you can go to a bad team and still have it be, you know, the Warriors were terrible. When Draymond mm. was there, yeah, you know, you can you can still build. You know, if I look at a franchise like the Pistons, terrible record this year, but it feels like they finally are starting to put something real in place in yeah. terms of a philosophy and a core and establishing a a, a standard of play, a way they're going to go about playing. That's the stuff that really matters. And so I just hope for Aaron's sake that he ends up in that kind of situation rather than, you know, something more akin to what Denzel walked into where I think it might be harder for him. Because Aaron is not, we understand this, Aaron's not one of those, you know, five or six guys a year where it doesn't really matter where they land, they're going to play well. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those guys where it's got to it's gotta fit, right? Yeah, and he, he could be incredibly useful as like a, for sure. a seventh, eighth man off the bench who's good at defense, shutting people down, hit a couple threes, you know, and once you get that solidified, then maybe you step it up a little bit more. I mean, it's possible for sure. I, you know, we'll see. I could end up with egg on my face this, but I posted this on message board the other day, uh, and I firmly believe this. Um, People are talking about Franz Wagner as a lottery pick. And to me, and I'm trying to take as much of my Michigan State bias out of it as possible. Right now, gun to my head, I would take Aaron Henry over over Franz Wagner. Oh yeah, that for sure. You know, I, I you, think, and I know what the advanced stats say about Wagner's defense. 
I don't believe it. My eyes tell me something very different. I think he was a benefit. First of all, our, our analytics for individual defense is still not great. There, yeah, yeah. I, in my opinion, there's not great, there's not great data that allows you to really get at that to separate it out from what a team does. I think Michigan's team defense was very, very good and Wagner benefited from that. I would take Aaron Henry as an individual defender over him every day of the week. Mm. And I think, I think they're, for all the knocks that Aaron Henry takes as a shooter, Franz Wagner shot 34% from three this year. Not great. Yeah. Um, the one thing you can give him is he's a little taller, but Henry's a better athlete and he's stronger. So yeah. I, I would, I would take Aaron. I think he's more likely to have success. But again, with both of those guys and with a host of other players, what's going to matter most is where do they get picked and how do they slot into that franchise? And what does that franchise have in terms of a structure? And a foundation. You're, you're definitely right about the combine, though. Being able for him to be able to, they are going to have a combine this year, I assume. Yes, yes, that's been when announced. You, when you just watch him, just just practicing, like jumping around, shooting by himself, doing yeah. drills, he looks like a pro. I mean, yes. there's just no yes. doubt about it. He just looks yes. heads I, and shoulders above everyone. The, else. the only thing you wonder about is, you know, shooting drills. He he may not. You know, but I, I think he's got still got potential to improve there. And, and that's something that I think NBA teams are not necessarily going to be dissuaded by. It's one of those things where if you can shoot, that's a big bonus for you because every NBA team needs guys who can stick shots. But if you have enough other elements to your game and at least show potential to get better, which I think Aaron has, um, I don't think it's going to be a disqualifier. But that's the one thing I look at in a combine situation. I say, okay, he may not excel in three-point shooting um, in that context. But then again, he might have a good day. Yeah, like uh, Tillman. Everything else is going <laughs> to knock him out of the park. But Tillman shot so, like, what, 80% or something like that on his combine day or his pro day or yeah, whatever that was? Yeah, right. <laughs> so you can just have a really good day. Um, but, yeah, so from a Michigan State perspective, again, this was not unexpected. And then we have to we have to take all this stuff into consideration when we're looking at the roster. So let's remember, Jack Hoiberg left, um, Rocket Watts has left, Josh Langford has left. Those are the three slots that are taken by the three incoming high school players. Mm-hmm. Okay, Aaron Henry has now left. That's Tyson Walker's spot, the grad transfer guard from Northeastern. Yep. So Michigan State. As of this morning, they were full up, 13 scholarships. They were all set. But then this afternoon came around. Hello? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we might want to cut there. I was kind of trying to set you up. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm biting the suspense, Rod. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, so Thomas Kithier elected to enter the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only mildly surprising to me in this sense. I had understood that there was a reasonable chance that he would just opt to retire. And we talked about that here, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit so – my understanding had been that was a little more likely – and him transferring to play somewhere else. But if you look at the release, if you look at Izzo's response and then his release, 
he's going as a grad transfer. I'm, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at a place that's prestigious academically. He's got a 3.7 GPA. He's already, I believe he's already graduated. He will this semester. Um, he's got a 3.7. So really good student. Uh, that combination could make him a very interesting add at a lot of places. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him go to a, depending upon what he wants to do, um, to see him go somewhere that maybe isn't for basketball purposes as much as it is getting a master's degree paid for, mm. you know? So are we um, thinking like a Northwestern or like, uh, no, no. And I don't even know for, again, it depends on what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, but it, it just, it wouldn't surprise me to see him go somewhere that's just really, really strong in a particular academic program. I just got that knowing a little bit about the situation just from talking to people, not, not, within the last few days, I mean, over time here, over the yeah. last couple of years. Um, and then reading those statements today, it's going to surprise me if you see him, maybe I'll be wrong, but like, I know a lot of people, the first thing that occurs to them is, well, maybe he'll go to Oakland. Maybe he will. Maybe what will end up happening is that he wants to go somewhere where he thinks he can play a lot of minutes, but I'm not convinced of that. I think I think he may be looking at this like Brown or something. <laughs> like, What's that? Like Brown or something? Like an Ivy League school? I, you know, that's the thing. The Ivies tend to lose guys that way, not gain them. But I don't know. I'm not saying I'm betting on that. But I also wouldn't be shocked if he goes that way. You know, and just and and goes somewhere where he can really get a head start on a really really good. Um, graduate program and, and master's degree uh, because he's definitely that kind of student mm. academically. So I, you know, I think it, very impressive, grade point average. Um, I had always heard that he and you know he and Lawyer are really the two exceptional, and, and Julius Marble. Those are the three guys that are really exceptional students in the program, mm-hmm. um, and that's been well known since he got here. You know, and and just talking about him for a second I think a lot of people in the fan base were celebrating today which is tremendously unfortunate um, I think Thomas Kithier got treated pretty poorly by way too many of people who purport to be Michigan State fans that's my yeah. personal opinion. yeah I agree I agree um, I think it was awful uh, and and the fact is Thomas Kithier was a very reliable and a very solid player over his three years at Michigan State who contributed a lot to winning teams. You don't want to believe that? Fine. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. And he Um, played well below his capability in terms of what he could do. You know what I mean? If he was at a smaller program, he could step out. He could step out and take 12, 18-foot jumpers. I, I agree. He had that in his game in high school. I saw it. Over and over, high school and AAU, he's got three point range, but but Izzo tends to have a, a short leash on big men. Yeah. Um, with that, you know, you can you can look back at guys. Matt Costello, 
had that shot. Yeah. You see him take shots from range until he was a senior. Go on Suton. Yeah. A lot of guys like that who kind of have to earn his trust for whatever reason. And Kithier never really got there. Um, but you know, I, 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 again, I think that, um, from a basketball perspective, what happened down the stretch this season is, you know, Thomas Kithier's biggest value to Michigan state is that you knew he was going to be a guy who would make the right plays. He would play the right way to use the Larry Brown yeah. vernacular. You know, great screen setter, understood Michigan State's defensive concepts and executed them well, had good hands, finished at a high rate around the rim when he gets scoring opportunities. He passed well. He did the little things really, really well. And Michigan State's big man group, had a lot has had a lot of guys who don't do the little things well at all. But what changed over the last ten games or so this season, we've talked about it a lot here. Marcus Bainham became a reliable player. The light switched on and I think you could look at him going into next season and see a guy that they can count on. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. Then you have Matty Sissoko, who really got the short end of the stick with COVID and, and not really having a normal off season coming into his freshman year. And then he contracted COVID during the season and lost about 20 pounds. Still, I felt, I don't know how you felt, but I felt by the end of the year he was starting to show signs. Yeah, he's, he's, he's close. He's impactful for sure. Uh- yeah, and and so I think heading into next year, you can assume, okay, he's probably ready to play a bigger role. And then the 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 question mark to me is Julius Marble, but Julius Marble offensively is their best center in terms of his post ability. Yeah. Question with him is: Is he ever going to defend and rebound well enough to earn major minutes? And I still think that's very much an open question, but it's also true to say down the stretch he was getting at least a little better defensively. Mm-hmm. Well enough that Izzo was playing him and wasn't using Kithier to hold him accountable or to give him what he felt he needed, yeah. you know, in those areas. So Thomas Kithier wasn't playing very much down the stretch. So from a basketball perspective, it makes sense. I don't, again, I this is just my belief. Who knows? He could end up at a, another power five and it'll shock me, but I don't believe this is a basketball-based decision. I really don't. Because my understanding was it was just as likely he would just stop playing basketball and just get on with his the rest of his education. Mm-hmm. But at least for now, we assume he's going to transfer somewhere. Again, I wish him nothing but the best. I think he did a great job at MSU while he was here. I think he represented the program fantastically, and I think he took a lot of shit from people that was totally unwarranted. Yeah. So people, a lot of people who purport to be Michigan State fans all take a good long look in the mirror based based on the way they reacted to him and at least one other player currently still on the roster mm-hmm. and and really reevaluate where the, where the hell you are. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. I agree. But so that, that now creates an open scholarship. So... The question is, where do we go from here? I want to address the first most obvious thought that people have, which is, I'll, I'll leave it to you. What's the most obvious thought that comes to people's minds right now? Oh, Imani Bates. 
right. in this new uh, developmental 16 to 18 year league uh, that Kevin Ollie yeah. has been taken up. I don't see that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even think. I don't even think that thing is it going to get off the ground. We'll see. Um, that that is. Let's put it this way: the NBA wants no part of that, and yeah, that's yeah. always been my position all along as to why I didn't think the G League was likely to make changes to get Amani in early. Um, I don't think that thing's a legitimate threat. I'd be floored by that. Absolutely floored. Well, their plan uh, but is I guess to offer people million dollars or six-figure contracts. It's like, well, where's that money going to come from? Where's the right. revenue going to come from? Right. There are a lot of lot of. Uh, I mean, if you've ever been to a G League game, it's like you wonder how they even pay for the rent in those places. I mean, well, but but I'll tell you what's going on there. The NBA, at least, that is, it's similar to minor league baseball, with just without the crowds. Right. You know, do they like subsidize it to some degree? They do. No, it's totally. Yeah. I mean, that's the NBA is owns it. And it's not like it used to be, you know, back when, when I first started following basketball, there was this thing called the Continental Basketball Association, the CBA. Yeah. That was a minor league that was independent from the NBA. That was a, and it still served as a feeder. You know, it's actually where Phil Jackson got his coaching start, among others. Mm. It was in the CBA, the Albany Patroons. Um, but uh, that was a little different. The, those franchises had to actually support themselves, you know? Yeah. This is different now. The NBA is really using that. I mean, you just look at the way it's utilized now. You have all these guys on two-way contracts. You know, you, you have these scenarios where it truly does function more like a real minor league. Um, so they do subsidize it. And that's why it doesn't matter from, a, from a, the perspective of the franchises surviving. Yeah. It doesn't really matter that much because the NBA is there yeah. under right at all. You know, um, I think that uh, this thing, anybody starting a league in the United States faces a massive uphill battle. <laughs> yeah, that just <laughs> never seems league. to work. It's well, just... but, but look at this thing. What's the who is gonna who's the audience for this? This is a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, and and it's a funny thing because I always used to think well if you're a fan of basketball, you like the sport at all levels, right? I mean, that's how I've always been. I love high school basketball. I love college basketball. I love the NBA. Mm. I love college basketball the most, but it doesn't mean I dislike the other levels. I like those too. Yeah. I don't think that's true, though. I think there are people very much who identify as NBA fans who actively dislike the college game and vice versa. And I think there is a thought among people who are fans of the pro game that this is an easy thing. And if you build it, they will come and you just need to pay these guys enough money to get them to jump. But of course they'll forego college. Mm. Here's the problem in that is you're pointing out there's an economic model that would have to work right in order to support this thing. But I want you to tell me who out there other than deep, deep, basketball fans 
who will watch summer league games. And let me tell you, that's not a lot of people. <laughs> Some, but it's not a lot. Um, other than that, who is the audience for this? It's a, it, it betrays a fundamental misunderstanding of how sports work economically. Yeah. Because the way, in my opinion at least, because the way that they work is driven largely by emotion. Yeah. You and I are fans of Michigan State basketball, right? We went to school there. Uh, I'm, you grew up in the state of Michigan, right? Yeah. yeah. So did I. So I, you know, I grew up with it long before I ever went to school at Michigan State. You know, I was a Michigan State fan. I had an emotional attachment to it. You know, that's why I care about it. And individual guys come and go, and that emotional attachment doesn't leave me. Mm. I continue to support them. The old cliche is. It's about the name on the front of the jersey, not the back. In college, particularly. Yeah, because that's oh. what people identify themselves with. You went Correct. to Michigan State, or you grew up watching them, or your family likes them, or your, your boyfriend likes and, them, or whatever. And this is why, we've talked about this for a couple of years now, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. But the Amani Bates scenario, if Amani Bates plays at Michigan State, there will be millions of people who will watch his games every game. That's what will happen. If Amani Bates were to play for the G League Ignite, it will be less, substantially less. Hmm. Now, you have to factor in what's the value of the salary you're making and endorsement deals you might be able to do at that point, blah, blah, blah. All that is in there, but just in terms of eyeballs people paying attention nobody gives a shit about the ignite yeah other than extremely deep basketball fans who as i say are people that will watch summer league games that's not a big audience um there is a reason why if you ask forget casual fans if you ask people who generally pay attention to the sport whose games are they familiar with jalen suggs and Cade cunningham or Green and uh, Kaminga, the guys who went to the Ignite. Which ones do you think they're more familiar with? I, I, I bet you I could ask people for oh, in uh, maybe a two weeks straight, just asking every person I know, and not one of them would probably know Jonathan Kaminga. Have they seen a second of them? <laughs> probably I, not. I, no. I consider myself a pretty deep basketball fan. I have not seen one second of the Ignite. It no, has no either. interest for me. None. There aren't enough hours in the day. And this is this is what it it really comes down to. So that and that's the G League. That's the league that the NBA is supporting. Yeah. Now you're gonna tell me there's some random group that's doing a, a league where they're gonna have even younger guys. And and there's gonna be an audience for that? If and if there's not an audience, where's the money coming from? Yeah. That so yeah, it's not going to happen. That is not going to be where Amani Bates land. I would the sad thing is the kids that are going to get sucked into this and, and ruin their college potential college careers because they just didn't know any better. That's the sad. There may thing. there may be some. There may be some, but I I tend to think that there will not be a lot of mistakes made like that. We'll see if I'm wrong, but I I, I don't think that's going to be viable. That's my prediction. So to bring it back around to MSU. Uh, I don't think this Kithier slot is being banked or saved for Imani Bates. I don't think the Imani Bates decision is anytime real soon. I've been of the belief that it would be summertime, 
And I still think that's going to be the case. Keep in mind, this summer, there is supposed to be a court decision coming on name, image, and likeness mm. that could really change things dramatically, even in the short term. Is it, um, will it be a state or a Supreme Court? Well, this is, this is at the national level. There are already states that have moved ahead. If you're seeing Florida and California, mm-hmm. schools in those states are already moving ahead with plans because they have state legislation. But this is, this is at the federal level. And, and the NCAA has kind of punted on this and left it to the court to decide. I, I think there are going to be changes coming. How much that impacts Amani's decision, I don't know. I, I've never believed that was going to be the primary driver either way. I just didn't. Yeah. Um, but it would be a nice bonus for the college game if, if there was something there. Um, but, but in any event, I don't think Michigan State is going to, um, save that slot. I still think in all probability there's one more coming. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one that I would expect, um, is, is there. If, if Amani decides that he is going to play at Michigan State, I do expect them to fill this slot, but I think they're not just going to fill it to fill it. They're, they're going to want a particular kind of player. And right now, there aren't guys in the portal, you know, um, uh, the kid from, uh, the kid from IU, um, Durham. Durham. Yeah. Actually, he's going to Vanderbilt, I think. I think he committed to Vanderbilt. So he's off the table. He was one that Michigan State had expressed interest in. John Harar, Penn State, big man, is still out there. I haven't heard anything on him recently as to where that recruitment stands. And that's kind of it. There have been a lot of guys in the portal. Not what, about a lot of, what about Myron Jones? Do you he, he committed to uh, Alabama. Oh, that's right, Alabama. Yep, just a few days ago. Um, yeah, he's – you know, that's the kind of kid, yeah, you, at least in theory, you would like. I'll tell you the name that I really got excited by, but I saw a list today. I didn't see Michigan State on there, is Daryl Morsell from Maryland. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. And he's also it. talking about testing the NBA draft waters. I, oh, I don't see him yes. as a draft pick, so I think he'll probably come back to school. But he would be almost perfect. I, I think right now um, – it's two. You're obviously not going to take a point guard. You don't need one of those. Yeah. So it's really, do you take a wing or do you think that you need a low post player? And I have been an advocate of Michigan State taking a post player, but the more you look at it, the more discussions I've had about it, I, I kind of have come around to the idea that it might make more sense to take a wing because you don't know what the deal is going to be with Imani. Mm. Um, and, and even if you do get Imani, you're still talking about a bunch of freshmen and Gabe Brown. And that might not be ideal. You might want a little more experience mm. there. You know, at least one other guy with some experience. I don't, you know, somebody like Morsel would be perfect for me. I don't think Michigan State needs to add a guy who they're going to ask to go get 15 points a night. I think if, if you got somebody who had experience, um, you believe could contribute and be a solid player at the Big Ten level, give you reliable defense, that would be the big thing. Because let's not kid ourselves. They just lost Aaron Henry and Josh Langford. Yeah. That's, that, that's a big loss defensively. 
So it would be nice to have somebody that was reliable on that end um, and maybe someone who could bring some leadership and some toughness. You know, that's somebody like Daryl Marshall is perfect for me on paper, but again, it doesn't look like they're involved. I don't know who that guy is. I don't really have any. And, and by the way, we're going to continue to see names coming into the portal. Yeah. We're not nearly done. So who knows who else is going to become available. And, and here's the, the cold, hard truth. There are kids right now who will look at the fact that Michigan state has an opening and see an opportunity. Right. And so I would not be surprised if we start to see names surfacing even this week, mm. but I think they're going to be selective. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the three freshmen that Michigan State's got coming in, I think Gabe could take a step up, but it might be nice to have a more veteran presence. But we'll see. I do think they're going to add somebody, though. This feels like the best class that they've had coming in um, for a while now. Pierre Brooks just won, uh, won a state championship. He did. He did. And, um, you know, it was an interesting game. I watched all four of the, the state championships. Games. Oh yeah, and his game was it was an interesting game. He struggled shooting the ball. The team that that played him, uh, Wyoming Triunity Christian, I think they've been to the state championship game ten times in the last thirty four years, and they've won four of them. Oh my goodness! So it's a really good program. Out of Grand really Rapids, good. yeah, or yeah, Grand Rapids area. area. They're not physically. They don't have anybody who physically is a match for Pierre, but they doubled him relentlessly the whole game. They had two guys on him every time he caught the ball. He didn't, he didn't play through that very well early and he forced some stuff, but as the game went along, I thought he really adjusted and he used his teammates really well. He ended up, um, if I remember the stat line, 15 points, 11 boards and five assists. And he probably could have had a triple-double if teammates had hit some layups. Yeah, They missed a bunch of layups off great passes. But he really started to use that double team against them. He had some highlight moments. He hit a three from the logo, from the Spartan logo, probably about <laughs> 30, oh between 30 and 35 feet out to end the first half. It was amazing. And then the second half, he had a, a steal that led to a transition breakaway dunk. So he had some moments. Uh, but the biggest thing is that he won. Mm-hmm. You know, and he had an, he averaged 33 points a game this season, playing a good schedule, you know. Um, and so he had a really, really great regular season. He was great in the tournament all the way up to that game. And it was, it was honestly, it was his worst game, but it was still good enough for them to win. And I think he showed enough of the things that lead me to believe that he's a guy who's capable of contributing immediately. Mm. I look at him very much the way – I looked at guys like Denzel Valentine, you know, even Cassius Winston to an extent. I don't think you're going to see massive numbers right out of this, right out of the shoot. You know, and Michigan State's had some guys who did that. You know, Gary Harris was a guy who was a freshman. Bam, immediately one of the best players in the Big Ten. Yeah. You know, he's going to track much more like Denzel. People think about Denzel, they think about senior Denzel. They forget he only scored five points a game as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And he struggled shooting the ball. Um, I think Pierre is actually, I don't know if his, if his, um, ceiling is where Denzel's was, but I think he's a better player than Denzel was at the same age. And I was a big Denzel Valentine fan. Mm-hmm. I think Pierre Brooks is a little better player 
overall. I think he's a little further ahead of the curve as a shooter for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but physically they're, they're similar. Um, he also compares to guys like, you know, there's some Aaron Henry in his game. There's some Alan Anderson in his game. He's a good athlete, not a great one. Um, but physically he's ready for the big 10 right now. And ultimately what's the best compliment you can pay a kid. He's a winner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think obviously with him, um, you know, uh, Max Christie had a huge year in Chicagoland. Um, I think everybody's expecting him to likely be a starter as a freshman and, and probably be a key contributor. You know, he's a guy they're going to look to to be a, a prime scorer. He's a guy who he's I like, think he's like a like thirty three points a game guy. In high yeah, school. he's a guy who I think you could more realistically look at and say, well, could he be the Gary Harris level contributor as a freshman? I think yes. You know, he's just done it at every every step of the way, playing for U.S. national teams in high school and AAU. He's really well coached. He's incredibly skilled. He looks every bit of six seven to me. I get a lot of Steve Smith vibes. Not to put too much pressure on him, but that's who I think of first when I see him. Um, just smooth, really, really smooth, really, really skilled. And then Jaden Akins had a great year once they settled down and he got to Sunrise Christian. You know, his team uh, played in the Dick Sporting Goods de facto national championship for prep schools. And they got all the way to the finals before they lost. But Jaden Akins was sensational in the semifinals and finals. And he scored well and shot well in both games. But the biggest thing was his defense. If, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners watched those games. Jaden Akins was a monster defensively. And with him and with what we hear about Tyson Walker, the transfer, you know, being his conference's defensive player of the year. I think Michigan State's defense, at the point at least, is set to be improved. Mm-hmm. You know, Rocket was very inconsistent this year, unfortunately. And then, you know, Lawyer and Hogard obviously were, were not built to be prime defenders. I think Michigan State could have a huge upgrade defensively at that position because that's why Jaden Aiken guaranteed is going to play a fair amount next year. I don't know how much he's going to play. But I think he's going to play a decent amount, uh-huh. just because of how he can check. And the offense—I happen to think he's a really good offensive player too. Yeah. But his defense is going to get him on the floor, and that's where I think he's the furthest along of those three guys. That's not to say that Pierre can't guard. I haven't seen Max Christie enough to have a real good feel for him defensively uh, yet. But Jaden Akins can guard people, and that alone is going to get him on the court. So you have to feel pretty good. Um, yeah. about what Michigan State has coming in and in with that group. And then, again, it remains to be seen what they add, but I think they're going to add somebody and hopefully a couple somebodies before this is this is all said and done. And so how, where does that leave us for the 2022 class? Because well, uh, that's know, starting to heat and, up. And, and even beyond that, you know, I mentioned I watched all four of the um, state championship games, and – they call it Division One now. It's Class A. Let's let's keep it the way it's been. But uh, they in the Class A state championship game, which was uh, a really really well played and uh, competitive game, uh, Grand Blank won the state title. Grand Blank has a guy who's a target in the 2022 class. Um, uh, Ty um, uh, Ty Rogers. 
Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Is a nationally ranked guy. Six six. Very. This is Jason Richardson's cousin. Uh. Six six. Strong. Um. Athletic as all get out. I think there's a couple things with him. One, I think he still needs some work on consistency with his his jump shot. That's not quite there yet. And then two, and this showed up in the title game, he only scored nine points. He wasn't bad. He just didn't. There were stretches where he didn't assert himself the way you expect a great player to assert himself. When you watch him move, you see why he's regarded the way he is as a top 100 guy, you know, um, maybe even in some quarters top 50. Um, but he doesn't assert himself well enough yet, but he's also got another year to go. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's hard to know. Like I had heard, and, and I know, I know that the family, his dad, I have heard over the years is more of an app guy, but then you start hearing things that even he has said Michigan State is recruiting him incredibly hard. Pierre Brooks to talk about how they got to get him in that class. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. I had been very pessimistic on him being a, a likely Michigan State guy. I've heard Syracuse connected with him strongly, um, Michigan, but you never know. Um, so that's a name to watch. They just offered today kid from the Midwest, Isaac Trout, who's a 6'9", very skilled uh, four-man. Uh, great offers. Got an offer from Kansas, an offer from Virginia. Frankly, I wow. thought Michigan State had already offered him. They've been recruiting him for more than a year. I didn't realize they hadn't offered him, so I was kind of surprised by that. <laughs> uh, but that that's one that they're in, firmly, from what I understand. I mean, they're, they're really in that one. I don't know where they're going to, you know, where they stock up. Um, next to some of these other programs, but they're in it. Uh, and then we just have to see, you know, I, I think like this was an interesting component of the, the Tyson Walker decision. You know, Tyson Walker theoretically could play three more years at MSU. And yeah. Jay Nate is going to be a freshman next year. So you have to wonder in the 2022 class, is Michigan State going to take a point guard? Does it make any sense? You know, they, they've been very involved with this kid out of Minnesota, Trey Holloman, who's a really good player. But I just, I don't know if it makes any sense. You know, we'll have to wait and see on that. You know, I think it's also probably unlikely that any of the in-state kids um, at that position, you know, they, there was one for sure, Orlando Lovejoy, that I thought might be a potential Michigan State recruit. I can't see it now. Hmm. Um, but we got a long way to go with, with that class. And I think... We've touched on this before, but I think now with the way things are with instant eligibility transfers, I think you're going year to year. Yeah. And just can't know. You can't know how many slots you're going to have. So you're probably going to see some form of coaches are going to look at it and say, okay, we've got these high school players we've identified that we really, really want. And then they're going to figure there'll probably be some attrition, and that will be something in the spring that you deal with through the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. It just seems to make sense, you know. And that's a crazy way to build teams. And I think, guy, you know, supposedly Roy Williams, that's what was the death now for him. He just decided he didn't want any part of it. Yeah. Uh, but that is the reality. And I don't think that's Tom Ezzo's preferred way of operating, but I also think – 
He's a guy who's proven that he's not going to refuse to do things that will help him compete for the for the principle of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think Michigan State is going to be much more selective than a lot of other programs are in terms of the kind of people they bring into the program. But I think they're going to they're going to play that game to some extent. You know, I mean, so, in some ways, does this maybe switch um, the focus away from recruiting high schoolers to some degree? Like maybe you're not looking absolutely. for three or four guys. Oh, you're looking for maybe one or absolutely. two. Absolutely. And if you follow, there's a number of people I follow on Twitter who are either in the AAU game or they're trainers or they're, they're just the people who work with young players. And They've been hitting this theme for several months now that high school players need to be very aware of this reality. And the the essence of the message is don't jerk around too long uh-huh. because you may find yourself, you know, without, without a seat in the cake at the cakewalk, you know, yeah. when the music stops playing, <laughs> you know, if you get my drift, uh, I do think that's true. I think if you look, if you look at this year's final form, you saw it, right? Mm-hmm. Gonzaga had what? At least two or three trans, I think they had three transfers in their rotation and at least one starting, uh, two starting because they had Nembhard and then they had the, the other kid, Joel, uh, Alice. So they, they had two or three kids that were transfers in the road. Yeah. They had the kid from Southern Illinois too. The guard, so at least three transfers in their rotation. Um, UCLA, Juzang, obviously, yeah. was huge for UCLA, right? Um, Baylor had a bunch of transfers, um, multiple guys. Um, and then who am I missing? Who was our other Final Four team? Um, um, oh, Houston. 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 Houston's Houston loaded, had a bunch man. of transfers. So this is – and that was, by the way – all that was before we had, I mean, I guess we had instant eligibility this year because they were given these COVID related waivers, but, but this is before things really geared up. Yeah. So now, yeah, there are going to be coaches. Absolutely. Somebody like Chris Beard at Texas, who already was playing the transfer game heavily at Texas tech. Now he's in a different position at Texas. He's, he's going to be able to, I think, recruit high school talent a little more easily at Texas because Austin's a lot better town than Lubbock. Mm. No offense to Lubbock. But but I still expect that he's going to play the transfer market heavily. I think there are a lot of coaches who look at it and say, why would I not bring in a guy who's been around, who's physically developed, understands the college game, and is just better prepared to help me immediately? Right. Yeah. That's that's probably going to be the thought process for a lot of coaches. Now, I still think especially like the top 25, 30 college coaches, I would think makes more of a difference to them because people are going to want to come there, you know. Right. Well, that and and we're already seeing that, you know, this year you're seeing guys, you know, Michigan State, look, Michigan State took advantage of it. Tyson Walker had a great year at Northeastern in the Colonial. And that's the kind of kid that in years past would have just stuck it out and been a four-year guy and had a great career 
Now he's in a position where he could have a great season as a sophomore and look around and say, okay, I, I now have my choice of elite programs that have a need. Because remember, he yeah. was down to Kansas, Michigan State, Maryland. And he, he opted for Michigan State. But um, that's going to be a very common – it was already going that way when you had waivers being handed out. But now when we're in this total free agency market, yeah, I think you're right. I think I think most coaches are going to try to play it um, in a combined way. You're not going to you're not going to see many of the high level guys, at least, going full on just Father Flanagan transfer. You know, running Boys Town. It's a different roster every year. I think that although it's different with freshmen, I think what Kentucky and Duke have demonstrated in this era, this one and done era, is it is extremely hard to win national championships that way. Yeah. With roster win and, and just turning it over every year. It's really hard to do that. So I don't think you're going to see these guys completely abandon the high school ranks. But as I say, I think it'll come in phases. I think the way you'll do it is you'll identify, you know, a handful of high school guys that you really like and that you think can help you. But maybe you're not going to see Five and you know Michigan's got a six-man recruiting class coming in this year from high school. Will they do that in the future? You know, will that, they that have? Doesn't five, make sense. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that they will. I think you might cut back and you might say, "Well, I'm going to take you know three guys, three guys that I really like, and because I, I know I've got three slots, and then I figure I'm probably going to have some attrition." be it guys going to the pros or transferring out of our program or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can fill those in the spring with transfers. And and so it truly is going to be a year-to-year thing now. I mean, I've made the comment that we've now entered the age where college basketball truly has become AAU. I, I, I saw a note today. This isn't a guy who will get any Michigan State interest, but he's a decent player. There's a kid named Charlie Moore from Chicago. Mm-hmm went into the portal today. Charlie Moore, when he transfers, will be on his fourth school. He started at Cal, then he went to Kansas, then he went to DePaul, and now he's going to school to be determined. Um, That stuff is going to become more common than you ever imagined. Just like, as I say, it's just like AAU. Guys aren't happy with the minutes that they're getting or the role they're in or they don't like the coach. They're just going to leave, hmm. and and they'll be eligible next year somewhere else, and and that's fine. I'm not saying that, I, you know, I don't know how you feel about it. My my position is, I think that in the interest of equity and fairness, players should be able to behave like any other student, and yeah, that means yeah. you can transfer when you want, you can be eligible to engage in whatever act. Activities you want as a student, which includes a sport, and that's how it should be. Um, I say that, and I believe it, and I can also acknowledge that it is potentially an awful thing for the sport in terms of fan interest. You know, yeah. it remains to be seen. I could be wrong I, about that. You know, I think, like on a on a personal level, I I think you're right. It's kids should be able to do what what they want to do, uh, but if you step back, like you know, a hundred feet and look down on it. 
it, it is going to hurt the game of basketball, especially mid-majors. I, I, I oh, get yeah. the feeling that it's going to be just kind of another one of these things that separates the, the rich from the poor even no more, question. you know? No question. You're, you're absolutely right. If, if you, but it's been that way for a while now. Yeah, it has. Know, it has. With the grad but, train, but, it, but here's what's different. At least previously, for the last, say, 10 years or so, it was the grad transfer rule. So what a mid-major had to worry about was, oh, Christ, I had this guy who had a red shirt because he got hurt one year, and he's finally gotten to his fourth year in the program, and he's great now. And in the past, we'd have had him for a fifth year, and now we're losing him to a big-time program. Mm. That happened all the time, right? Um, and even the reality of most of these kids are graduating in three years because they're staying. Well, they're staying through the summer yeah. and, and working out. There's and that too. But, but now what we've got is if you have a guy who comes into a situation at a mid-major where he was under-recruited for whatever reason – and he just explodes at, say, Middle Tennessee State yeah. or Northeastern or wherever. Well, guess He's what? Gone. He's going to have everybody lining up to get him as a sophomore. So you don't even get those three years out of him yeah. of playing that you were getting. Now you're getting one. And, and so the mid-majors are no different than anybody else in terms of year-to-year their roster. I mean, Greg Campy's going through this. Greg Campy... Uh, lost Rashad Williams, who was his shooter, who transferred there from Cleveland State, by the way. He entered the portal. I don't know whether he's landed anywhere yet. And then he lost his big man, Oladipo. Oh. So that's two starters gone in the portal. So he's going to be doing the same thing and that everybody else is. It, the it's thing just about the mid-majors is like a, a team like Oakland, They, can't, if you haven't recruited guys – you know, for a couple of years, you're not going to find somebody to fill those roles. Right. You know? Right. So no, like they're going to get a new point. transfer that's like as good as them. You're right about the rich getting richer because the way this is going to function is high majors are going to look around over the landscape and say, okay, I got to like Michigan state this year, for example, they came in to the off season thinking we got to get an answer at the point guard and then maybe you want some wing depth. Maybe you want a low post score, right? Yeah. They can survey the landscape and say, okay, where are the fits for this? And the first guy they take is a guy out of the mid-major ranks. So Michigan State solves their problem, at least in theory, right? Yeah. What does Northeastern do? <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not going to find Tyson Walker, most likely, in the transfer portal. No. Most likely, you know? So you're right. It's It's going to be... And this is and something they didn't plan to have a point guard. They, they thought they had their point guard solved for the next three years. Right. Izzo has talked about this though in in for years since the grad transfer rule came in. It's even more the case now that what he didn't like about it from a competitive standpoint and for his colleagues in coaching is that the mid major schools really get turned into a high major farm program. Yeah. You know, farm teams kind of. And that's we're seeing it. Yeah. And we're absolutely seeing it. On the other hand, I could say all of that, and then I go back to, you know what? The kids should have their choice. There's no good reason from a moral perspective um, to deny them that, that chance. It's just you. I think you can believe that and also simultaneously look at it as a fan and say, I don't know that this is for the better of the sport of college basketball. 
from because you're you're definitely if you look at teams of the past who built over years, you know, that was always what was kind of an equalizer for mid-major teams, right? Even in this more recent one-and-done era, you could say, okay, a mid-major doesn't have the upside talent that a, that a high major like a Kentucky or a Duke has, but they can build guys for three or four years together and, and have an experienced team that offsets some of that talent gap, Yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that's going to get harder and harder to do. Then again, I say that, I look at Loyola. Loyola had a lot of guys that they had built with over time, but they also had a transfer playing point guard, uh, the, the uh, Norris kid who transferred from Oakland. Mm. <laughs> so even they were in the game, you know? Um, so I don't know. It, it remains to be seen how much damage that does to fan interest. I, I'm I'm always skeptical about apocalyptic predictions. You know, when people start, I'm not going to watch anymore. Okay, let's see you put your money where your mouth is when your school's playing next winter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't care. But, but I do think there is a legitimacy to at least wondering, you know, does this lack of connection that it's going to foster between fans and, and schools and the teams, does that begin to have an impact in terms of interest? Mm. I don't know. I think that's an, uh, an unanswered question at the moment, but we're definitely entering this period where that is how it's going to be played. You know, it is going to be a free agent market every spring. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's going to be especially tough for Michigan state because their fans are just not used to seeing that type of thing. But you know, it, it will, but on the other hand, honestly, I don't expect Michigan State to be a heavy, heavy, heavy player yeah. in the transfer market. I don't think they're going to be the equivalent to what Chris Beard was running at Texas Tech, where it's like five guys a year. Right. I don't see that. I think what we're seeing this year is the upper end of what Tom Izzo probably will have happen. Because, look, he doesn't – he just doesn't lose guys very much. Yeah. You know? And I think some of these transfers were because um, guys were not going to be in the roles that they assumed they were, or, or that they that they would be happy with, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I tend to think you're probably looking at a Michigan State as a program that you know maybe it's a guy or two a year mm-hmm. that they're adding, and it probably kind of caps at that. I just don't think, I don't think Izzo would want to play that game where, where, you know, it's, it's just a constantly shifting roster every year. There's going to be some of that, but I still think it'll be less of that at MSU than some other places, you know, and just, and, and that's true also, by the way, of the entire big 10. I don't think the big 10 is going to become a league that's entirely transfer driven. I think teams will look to supplement their rosters for sure. Mm-hmm. And we've already seen it this year, you know, um, but I don't think it's going to become the predominant way you build a team. Like it might be at some other places. I look at places like, uh, well, Texas tech was an example in the, in the big 12, but you know, I look at a, I look Nebraska at an Arkansas, or Iowa or uh, Iowa state, Nebraska. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. Iowa Arkansas. State. 
um, Arkansas, uh, Auburn is heavy in the transfer market this yeah. year. You know, I think, I think in those leagues, I can see it. It also is just, uh, you know, not being arrogant. It's just a fact. I think culturally, those schools are places where you can see it. The Big Ten, although it, it's, it's probably um, something of a, a um, an act. Like the Big Ten likes to believe that it's above some of the things that SEC and Big 12 schools will do. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think you will see, you know, the one exception might be a program like Nebraska. And they've already kind of been that under Fred Hoiberg. But, you know, they might be one who goes heavy in the transfer market. But I don't think we're going to see Big Ten schools going hog wild. They think they're going to use it the way we're seeing it, where, you know, you look at Michigan, for example, they added two guys, and it was really it was the difference for them. You take those two guys away from them, they, they don't win the Big Ten, not even close. You know, so that's what you're probably going to see at the Big Ten, where a team might see a specific need and say, I want to address that. It's not, hey, I'm bringing in five guys. Right, right. You know. All right. Well, any anything else that you can think of? Uh, uh, you know, just a, a couple other quick thoughts on the state championship games. Um, I mentioned Graham Blank. The other guy of interest there is their point guard, who's a sophomore. So we're talking about the twenty-three class. R.J. Taylor had a big game. Let him in scoring. I was really impressed with the way he defended, the way he moved, the way he applied ball pressure, and he's a really good passer. Um, Dummies will look at him and say, well, he's a 5'11 white guy. He's foster lawyer. He's not foster lawyer. He's a very different kind of player. He has not been nearly the scorer foster lawyer was in high school, but he's much better defensively. He's a better athlete, and I think he's a much more instinctive passer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on. I, I don't know that I expect Michigan State to get the point guard mark at 22, as I mentioned, but 23 maybe because yeah. there are three in-state guys. Taylor's one of them. There's a kid at UND Jesuit, Sonny Wilson, who had a really good sophomore season for them, kind of a flair for the dramatic, won a couple tournament games at or near the buzzer with big shots, kind of reminiscent of another guy who played at UND um, a few <laughs> years later. Um, and then there's another kid, Malik uh, Olafoy, who plays at Ecorse and is already a 1,000-point scorer in his career after just two years. Eagles. In high school, so all, he's a little Eagles? bigger than the other two. He's like six two. Um, so those are three guys to watch in that class. Um, I also got a chance to see Grand Rapids Catholic Central. They won uh, Division Two, Class B, mm-hmm. um, over Battle Creek Penfield. In a, it was a tie game at the half, and then they ran away from the second half. They've got a kid, uh, a point guard, Darrell Brooks who is maybe about 6'2", 6'1", but really long arms, plays a little bigger than that. His nickname is Fat Fat, P-H-A-T, P-H-A-T. And he's a player who has a lot of people excited, and it's the first time I've gotten to see him. And he was, I I see it. He's got a long way to go as a shooter, but again, instinctive passer, has length, so I think he's going to be pretty good defensively, pretty good athlete, and he's just got a knack for getting into the lane and scoring. He gets some Cassius Winston comparisons. Um, he's not nearly where Cassius was as like a junior or a senior at UAD. I didn't see Cassius as a freshman, so I can't speak to that. Uh, 
but I understood the comparisons because his ability to get in the lane and finish shots that look kind of awkward but aren't for him, that mm-hmm. was there. I could see that. So, again, another name maybe to keep in the back of your mind. The downside there is my understanding is the kid and his father are all Michigan. So, But you never know. I don't even know if Juwan Howard is going to be there by then, and I don't know if Juwan Howard is ever going to really prioritize in-state kids. So who the hell knows? Yeah, um, that, that is a concern because you think, like, the guys that, that are coming up right now, their dads and moms would have been, like, you know, fans of the uh, Fat Five, you think. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, right in that, that sweet spot there. There, there is there is truth to that, but on the other hand, you know, you got a guy who's been winning for 25 years and is in the Hall of Fame. So I'd like to think that offsets a lot of it. Uh, I'm more scared. I'm way. more scared of him than I am of Beeline's recruiting. Well, but. except that on the one hand, um, Beeline didn't really emphasize the state very much. Yeah, that, that's but yeah. but then. I don't know how much of that Howard's going to do. You know, so far, just for the record, and again, he was behind on these guys, so I understand it wasn't fair. He offered and recruited both Jaden Akins and Pierre Brooks. He didn't get them. Okay? Now, Michigan State had a big head start, so that's true. But, you know, you gotta you got to keep that in mind. Um and we'll see how, you know, I do think that um, Ty Rogers is going to be interesting because he's a guy that Michigan State, I think, wants, and I think Michigan wants him. Are either one of them going to get him or is he going to go out of state? I don't know. Um, but he will be a recruitment to really watch, and I, I would expect that we're going to start seeing that accelerate as we get into the rest of the spring and the summer, AAU season hits, um, and uh and he can finally start taking official visits, presumably this fall, mm-hmm. um, if everything stays, you know, if everything is on track, um, COVID-wise. And um, and then we'll start to see that one. That could be really the first full tilt battle in state, you know. But it's you know again, it's interesting. Like that, I mentioned that twenty-three class with all those point guards. I don't know what the needs are going to be with those two programs. So it's too early to say like who's, who's out in front with this one or who's prioritizing that guy. I just know there are three guys who have completed their sophomore years in the state who all look like high major players to me as point guards, you know? And so you start from that perspective Mm -hmm. and and then it goes from there. All right. Well, anything else, Rob? No, I think we're, I think we've covered it. Um, Obviously, we'll be back as, you know, transfer speculation starts coming into play and, you know, Mm -hmm. all the rest. But it it feels like the dominoes have started to fall, and I don't think there are too many more moves yet to come. Yeah. Obviously, the the Imani Bates one's something to look out for. Yeah, and then, you know, I think, frankly, Foster Lawyer's future – due to the injury and, and other things that's, you know, internally, that's maybe one more domino to fall. Um, I don't expect any other attrition, but you never know. Um, I don't hear anything right now, but again, you never know for sure. Um, the coaching staff, I think is solid. That would be my expectation. 
Uh, we know who the coaching staff is going to be. And so, yeah, you're kind of, you know, right now it's okay. Are they going to take another transfer? I think they will. And then what happens with uh, Lawyer and then what might happen with Bates. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, the Final Four is not on schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.